0: Hello and welcome to Filmy Girls Idolcast. Hit it. Happy PIBU! Our song today was the Four Leaves with their bangin' cover of The Temptation's Happy People, which they performed on Japan's famous New Year's Eve show, Kohaku Gassen, which aired December 31st, 1975. The song was included as a special bonus on their 2002 Best Of, which I highly recommend. Okay, so episode two, we're going to take a little trip back in time to the 1960s and 70s, the heart of the Showa era and dig around in what would become the foundation for male idol groups in Japan. That's right, I'm talking about Johnny's and Associates. Just like Kleenex has come to mean a generic facial tissue, in Japan, the brand name Johnny's means male idols. The entertainment agency absolutely dominates the market and has done so for decades. Johnny's and Associates is an entire genre of entertainment unto itself. They are so powerful And its fans so dedicated that at least at the time of this recording in 2018, the agency still does not allow its artists to put their music videos on YouTube or songs on streaming media. Imagine having such a solid fan base that you don't need to bother with the lower return on investment internet platforms because you know fans still buy physical albums. The agency is also notoriously secretive, And waiting on news for a debut announcement or album release date can sometimes feel like waiting for the white smoke to billow up at the Vatican. But Johnny's and Associates is not without its scandals, and even though this really isn't the appropriate place to discuss it, I think it's important to state up front that I am very aware of the accusations of sexual abuse against Johnny Kitagawa. Children and teens in show business are extremely vulnerable, and there's always going to be adults ready to take advantage of them, sadly. So, yeah, I mean, it's a tricky issue, and because of the Western stereotype of Japanese men as sexual deviants, I think it's also important to emphasize that the abuse of minors in the entertainment industry and in the idol industry is not a problem unique to Japan, so keep that in mind. And You can also go and watch the excellent documentary on sexual abuse in Hollywood called An Open Secret. It's available for free on Vimeo. It's not entertaining. Okay, on with the show. Johnny's and Associates, or Johnny's gym show, was founded by Johnny Kitagawa in 1962. Kitagawa himself is something of an enigma. Now, well into his 80s, he's retired from the day-to-day running of the agency, but he still looms large in the mythology that's built up around it. Johnny's idols still talk about him on variety shows and in interviews, although these days he features more like an elderly uncle than a show business mastermind. But, there is nobody whose tastes were more influential on today's idol groups than Mr. Johnny Kitagawa. Johnny Kitagawa was born in California in 1931, where his father was working at the time. The Kitagawa family returned to Japan, to Osaka, in 1933. But Johnny and his siblings were sent back to Los Angeles after World War II in order to finish school. As a teen, Johnny worked part-time at a local theater, and through his job he became acquainted with the management teams of people like child store Misora Hibari, and he would later be able to trade in on those early connections when he decided to enter into show business himself. After finishing school, the Kitagawa siblings returned to Japan, and Johnny began working as a translator for the Americans. He was something of a bridge between East and West, and he used to spend his free time playing baseball with the local teens in Yoyogi Park. He organized some of those kids into a baseball team called, what else, the Johnnies. There are a few stories floating around about how the baseball team the Johnnies became the music group the Johnnies. Was it a rained out practice that triggered the whole thing? A viewing of West Side Story? A trip to Sister Mary's American-themed bar? But what I can say for sure, is that through Johnny's influence, a few of the teens fell in love with the American style of music and dancing, and a plan was hatched to form a musical group. Those teens? Mai Hiromi, Ino Osami, Nakatani Ryō, and Aoi Terehiko, the original Johnnies. Japanese popular music at the time contained a lot of film songs, as well as covers of American light pops. To give you a taste of what it was like then, here is the 15-year-old Misora Hibari's smash hit song, Ringo Oiwake, The Apple Tree at the Crossroads, released May 1st, 1952. Tsugaru musume wa naeta tosa Tsurai wakare yo naeta tosa Ringo No hanabira ga The girl from Suguru wept there, they said Wept over a bitter parting, they said The apple blossoms were scattered by the wind I think it's beautiful, and I love listening to this kind of music. But, can you imagine being a teen in 1950s Japan, growing up while the nation attempted to rebuild itself after World War II? The older generation probably took a lot of solace in these Anka songs with their poetic lyrics about nature and heartache. But if you were a normal teenager, I mean, come on. You probably just wanted to dance, right? And what Johnny had brought with him from America, was a taste for something a little more lively than what HeBuddy was offering. What Johnny did with the Johnnies was take the basic formation of the American doo-wop vocal group, think Frankie Lyman and the Teenagers, and merge it with West Side Story-style jazz dance choreography. Little did the Johnnies know that they were laying the foundation for a performance style we'd still be enjoying decades later these were the first seeds of what would become a global phenomenon. The next song I'll play is from the Johnny's debut single, released December 1964 on Victor Records. The single was a double A side, Wakai Namida, or Youthful Tears, a peppy, boy zone, sports day style song backed with the light and jazzy, Boku no te teibukuro yobareteiru, or I Rip My Glove. And that's the song I'll be playing for you. It represents a kind of crossroads itself between the old style of entertainment and the new one just around the corner. When this single was released in December of 1964, the Johnny had been regulars on the NHK variety show Yume De Aime Show for about two years, and presumably were popular enough to make the cost of recording and putting out the record seem like a good bet, especially since the songs were written by the staff of the show. But when the staff of the show includes Nakamura Haradai, who also wrote the song Uyo Muite Aruko, known in America as Sukiyaki, I'm sure the Johnnies weren't complaining. The lyrics to the song were written by Okura Tetsuya in the fine tradition of horny teen double entendre bubblegum pop, and they go like this. Yabure anakara hyokkori to all of a sudden, from within the torn hole, a face appears. It's my index finger. I tore my glove. <laughs> <laughs> One important thing to listen for is that unlike American doo wop groups, the Johnny sang in unison. Was this a conscious decision to make it easier to sing and dance at the same time? An attempt to make the vocal sound as clear and loud as possible in the days before electric amplification worked really well? I don't know, but for better or for worse, unison singing remains a staple of the Johnny's and Associates sound to this day, and I've come to like the way it creates a blend of voices that's stronger and more solid than each individual voice would be alone. I'll link to the video of the live performance in the show notes because you can really get a taste for how youthful and vigorous they are. Their costuming is simple, dressed in plain colored trousers and shirts decorated with cheeky glove prints right above where their nipples would be, as if someone had reached around and grabbed them. The Johnnies twist and kick and spread their arms wide. It's all very musical theater and incredibly corny watching now in 2018. But try putting yourself in the scuffed-up shoes of a 14-year-old girl in Nagoya in 1964. The Johnnies were a world apart from anything else that was happening at the time. Sadly I don't own a copy of this 45, so if you ever come across one at a record store,
1: please let me know. Yaburete ru doo <laughs> ah,
2: <they're so> dreamy. <laughs> the Johnnies
0: answered questions about their ideal girlfriends in magazines like Miojo and Shonen Brendo. They even appeared on Kohaku Gassen, but they weren't exactly setting the entertainment world on fire. There was still no real space in the entertainment industry for a singing and dancing group like the Johnnies. The teen heartthrob market was already well covered by the gosan-kei, or Big Three, Hashiyukio, Funaki Kazuo, and Saego Teruhiko, three dreamy singing and acting solo idols. So when Yume de Ayama show ended, Kitagawa got the idea to take them to America, take some lessons and see what would happen. And so in 1966, the Johnnies headed off to Hollywood. But meanwhile, in Japan, something called the Adeki Boom had been bubbling under the surface in coffee shops and go-go clubs, and was about to burst forth into the mainstream with a glorious new genre called Grupe Sounds, or Group Sounds, GS. The fuse for the areki boom was lit by American surf rock group, The Ventures, who had become inexplicably popular among a certain subset of Japan's youth. You may have heard their songs before on commercials. And in The Ventures' snazzy surf rock wake came Japanese instrumental rock bands like The Spiders, Jackie Yoshikawa and the Blue Comets, Tarochi Takechi and the Blue Jeans. These guys were kings of the underground scene. And why this is important is that there was another band coming up around this time. A bit younger than the guitar heads and the Blue Comets and Blue Jeans. Five teen boys out of Kyoto, going by the name, Sati and the Playboys, soon to be known as the Tigers. And the Tigers weren't into that surf stuff either. They liked real rock and roll, man. I'm talking the Beatles, the Stones, the Kinks. The Tigers were school friends from working-class Kyoto families who'd bonded over a shared love of music and dancing. They used to meet up after school and hang out for hours listening to records and playing cards. As legend has it, one day, the soon-to-be Tigers were in line for concert tickets in nearby Osaka. When they ran into the president of the Osaka chapter of the Beatles fan club. In typical Osaka fashion, she proceeded to bust their balls saying, hey, you're men, aren't you? Why don't you form your own band? The sassy girl from Osaka would later become president of the Tigers fan club too. So while the Johnnies were singing about their, um, fingers, poking about a hole in their, um, gloves on national television, The Tigers were scrambling for gigs at local coffee shops, where they would play wild cover versions of songs like the Rolling Stones' Satisfaction. The Tigers' youth, good looks, and likable personalities soon caught the attention of the talent scouts at top-tier talent agency Watanabe Productions, and almost before they knew what had happened, the Tigers found themselves on the brand-new bullet train to Tokyo and a glamorous new life in the capital city. And while the Johnnies were knocking on doors in Hollywood, the Tigers were about to launch the biggest team craze to date in Japanese history. That's right, baby. I'm talking about Tiger Mania. Julie, Sally, Taro, Topo, and Pete. Let's get it! <laughs> Makana Jacketo, or The Red Jacket, released August 15, 1967. The B-side to the Tiger's third single, Monarisa no Hohoemi, and was also featured in the Tiger's first film, Boko o Seikai ni Matteru, about a space princess who comes to Earth and befriends a dopey rock band played by the Tigers. Although the film isn't available in English, um, I've written about it and other Tigers films at great length on my blog, and I can link to those in the show notes. The song itself was a throwaway track written by a couple of old pros and isn't deep or meaningful or anything, but their performance captures the youthful playfulness and enthusiasm at the center of everything the Tigers did in those early days. The Tigers burst into the Japanese market building on the momentum of global Beatlemania. But even more important to their success than the Fab Four were the pre-Fab Four, the Monkeys. The Monkeys' light-hearted comedy series had just made its way over to Japan and Watanabe Productions were no fools. Instead of treating the band like just another musical act, the five scruffy teens were scrubbed clean, dressed up in colorful matching suits, and had their faces plastered on everything. And Japanese teens adored them. Ask any woman of a certain age today, and she'll tell you who her favorite tiger was. Was it Julie, the boyishly handsome lead singer? P, the cute-as-a-button drummer? Quiet, sensitive rhythm guitarist Taro? The Thinking Woman's Choice, contrarian lead guitarist Topo, or gangly, good-natured bassist sadi. You could get Tiger's chocolates, Tiger's personal beauty products, Tiger's everything. Girls had Tiger's posters, bought Tiger's magazines, and saw the Tiger's movies over and over and over again in the theater. The Tiger's were your perfect boyfriend, your beloved older brother, they were cool, they were funny, they were dreamy, and they were all best friends, and they were everywhere. So what does this rock group have to do with our idol groups? Well, a few big things. Number one, the Tigers set the standard for marketing idol groups in Japan. All those bands I mentioned, like the Spiders, quickly got themselves cute lead singers and matching costumes and rode the aftershock of Tigers mania to mainstream success. And two, the visual style popularized by the Tigers and the group sounds boom is still being used by Johnny's groups to this day ruffled collars, colorful patterns, boots, jaunty caps, tight denim, vibrant stage costumes. You you still see them all. And the Tigers weren't just a musical act, but like the Monkees and the Beatles, they were also funny. And their films very much played up their friendship and natural in-group banter and jokes. They had appealing personalities, not just good music. It's not an exaggeration to say that without the Tigers, The musical landscape in japan today would look and sound very different sadly the tigers were not able to withstand the pressures of stardom and the group split in january 1971 after an incredibly emotional farewell concert which as an aside is available as a bootleg and is well worth watching if you like concert films the emotion on screen is powerful even at the distance of 50 years girls sobbing in the audience the band sobbing on stage after the concert, P, the drummer, got on a train back to Kyoto by himself, and he didn't see his bandmates again until, like, 2013. What I'm saying is that if you message me, I will be happy to point you in the right direction to find this. I'd love to dedicate an episode to just the Tigers in the future. Their evolution from cover band to likable prefab puppets to kind of an angsty folk rock band is wonderful and fascinating, but for now I'll play them offstage with one of my favorite Tigers tracks from their final album the odd hitowa, sung by the equally odd replacement member Shiro. The lyrics are by the late, great Yasui Kazumi, one of the few women working uh, as a lyricist at the time, and the music is by the spiders Kamayatsu Hirashi, aka Monsieur, who passed away just last year. The lyrics go like this A human is probably, a human is anyone Born alone, die alone their small history returns
2: to the earth. hito <laughs> <音楽><音楽>
0: ah, Shiro. His health is rather frail these days. All the best, Shiro. I remember you. Back to the Johnny's small history. By the time they returned to Japan in 1967, it was already too late. Tiger Mania had swept up every single girl in the country. Still, Johnny Kitagawa was not ready to throw in the towel. He had a vision, and that vision was of hardworking young men who both sang and danced. Enter the Four Leaves. Four boys who had been working as backing dancers for the Johnnies. They would debut in 1968 with a much more modern sound and style than the Johnnies had. The four leaves were young, all under twenty years old, with the baby the group just fifteen. Kitakoji, Kochan, who passed away in twenty twelve, was known for his excellent dancing. Aoyama Takeshi, Tabo, passed away in 2009, uh, He was the pretty boy with the voice of gold. Egi Toshiyo, Toshibo, would go on to become an actor and celebrity himself, and the baby Omori Masao, Mabo. The four-leaves specialty was high-octane dancing and singing. They took what the Johnnies had been doing and exploded it. Nobody else was doing what these boys did. The four-leaves weren't a band like those group sounds guys, but they weren't doing the tender light pops of the gosanke, and their style went beyond what you could hear. Dance was incorporated as an essential part of a Four Leaves performance in a way that would have been impossible in the days before television was universal. You cannot get a complete feel for the Four Leaves without watching them in action. The heightened emotion, the way their choreography just pops off the screen, their movements adding physical weight to the melodies, the way the costuming emphasizes their dancing, sashes that twirl out, Brightly colored trousers spreading color all around the stage as they backflip and kick their legs up high. Nobody else was doing this. And unlike the monochrome Johnnies, the four leaves were in color, baby. They borrowed the trendy, modish fashion of group sounds. But unlike most of the GS groups, the Tigers being very much the exception, there were no ugly ones. The beautiful fold-out cover design for their debut single, oribia no Shirabe, shows the four leaves standing in front of a ratty brick building overgrown with weeds. They're all dressed somewhat whimsically, each one with a different fashion point. Carnaby Street striped trousers, a puffy white shirt, tam-o-shanter. All four looking away from each other off into the distance, almost as if they've been captured mid-daydream. The bright yellow font pops against the weeds. Four leaves. Vocally, the four leaves kept the unison singing of the Johnnies, but with an additional spice raw teen emotion. You can still hear it in their young voices 50 years later, reaching across time and the many tubes of the internet to plant itself directly into your heart. Or at least, directly into my heart. Musically they were able to take advantage of the many talented songwriters and lyricists working in the industry at the time, as well as some incredible session players. If you're a fan of the sizzling backing tracks done by the Wrecking Crew out in LA, then you'll love the 60s and 70s Japanese pop scene. In the days before everything was programmed by one guy in a closet in Sweden, you got some incredibly gorgeous and very creative musical arrangements performed by talented session musicians on these throwaway bubblegum songs. The next song I'm gonna play is the four-leaves second single, Namida no Orfe, Tears of Orpheus, released December 12th, 1968. The lyrics were written by the late Tereyama Shuji, best known in the West as the experimental filmmaker behind movies like 1971's Shou Yo machi De Yo or Throw Your Books Away and Rally in the Streets. Okay, you know, well, he also wrote lyrics for idol songs. Garbage culture, my ass. The title references, of course, to the legend of Orpheus, who loved his wife so much that he traveled into the underworld to try and bring her back to life. It didn't go so well. Boku ga shindemo... 悲しみ even if I die, please don't mourn me. Open the window, just like always. Peel your orange, just like always. Don't let your tears fall. Damn, boys. Emo Bands have nothing on the floor
3: leaves. <laughs>
1: いでよ僕が死んでも悲しみ
3: だ
0: A lot of what we consider Johnny's idol group culture today actually originated with the four leaves, take member colors. Fans picked up on the fact that the boys would often perform with four different colored highlighting on their costumes. The colors meant nothing more than a way to differentiate themselves on television and on stage. You can imagine watching broadcast TV on a rickety old CRT screen, or sitting in the cheap seats at a concert without the massive screens they use today. Those bright blotches of red, yellow, and so on, a style borrowed from the Super Sentai Rangers, aka the Power Rangers, would have been really useful. But the fans saw this and adopted those colors as a badge of their fanhood. Girls today call themselves a so-and-so tan, using the same kanji that comes from the word tanto or tanin, meaning to be responsible for, or in charge of. But back then, you would have called yourself a part of the Midori Gumi, or Green Gang, if you were a fan of Tabo, with Tabo himself being the Midori Gumi Bancho, Green Gang leader. Still, while browsing through scans of old magazines, one thing really stuck out to me. Johnny's and Associates was still deep in the teen girl ghetto, And by that I mean, most of the interviews I saw revolved around the members describing ideal dates, or teasing each other about marriage. Despite the Tigers' success, the image they were selling was not that of an idol group, like the Tigers had been, but was more like four individual idols who performed together. The magic of the Tigers' comradeship wouldn't be recaptured for many more years. The Four Leaves would chug along until 1978, never the most popular band, but well-loved. So who was the most popular? Well, let's rewind back to when the Tigers disbanded in 1971. It marked the end of an era. Group sounds was over. Gosanke kaput. The country was ready for something new. And they didn't have to wait long before the Shin Gosanke, the new big three, made their debuts. That would be Gohiromi, Saijo Hideki, and Noguchi Goro. I'm going to talk a little bit about Go Hiromi even though he's a solo idol because his story is relevant. In 1971, Johnny Kitagawa had scouted the young Hiromi at a movie audition in Ginza. Just like the Four Leaves, Hiromi joined the agency as a trainee, a Johnny's junior, and built up a small fan base. His fans nicknamed him "Let's Go Hiromi." Hiromi had a small role in a television drama and built up enough momentum to make his debut as a solo artist on August 8, 1972, at the tender age of 17. He debuted with the adorable song, Otakonoko Onnanoko, for which he won Best Newcomer at the 14th Japanese Music Awards. Hiromi stayed with Johnny and, and associates until March of 1975, when he switched to a larger agency. The story goes that Hiromi said that he wanted to improve his skills in singing and dancing and so on. Johnny said, well, why don't we just wait for this current wave of popularity to calm down before you do that? Hiromi said, mm, nah, and he peaced out. This must have been a huge blow to Johnny's. The new big three were it, and one had been theirs. But it just demonstrates that Johnny's and Associates was still a small agency. They simply could not provide the support that a blossoming superstar like Hiromi needed. The other two idols were in very different situations. Hiroshima born Saijo Hideki was scouted playing in his high school rock band by a large established talent agency much like the Tigers had been. And Noguchi Goro, he'd send directly under the umbrella of Polydor Records. To keep up with them, Hiromi needed way more resources than Johnny's and Associates could provide. So the next song I'm going to play is a live version of Go Hiromi's debut song, recorded for television. And you can just hear the girls in the audience doing the Go Hiromi fan chants in the chorus. Go go! I'll link to the video in the show notes because it's well worth watching. Young Hiromi is dressed in a bright pink shirt and sparkly pink blazer, and he's standing alone in the center of a massive stage. He looks so adorably sweet and shy, biting his lip during the instrumental breaks. You can understand immediately why he was so popular. The song itself was written by a couple of reliable Japanese hitmakers. The music? Sutsumi Kohei, who also wrote Izumi Ayumi's legendary super hit, Blue Light Yokohama. And the lyrics are by the late Iwatani Tokiko, who had been churning out hit songs since before GoHiromi was even born. The music is light and breezy, as are the lyrics. Kimitachi onna no ko, bokutachi otoko no ko. Hey hey hey, hey hey hey. Oide asobo, bokura no sekai e, hashite you're a girl, I'm a boy, hey hey hey, hey hey hey, let's stay and hang out, let's run off into a world <laughs> of Atmosphere of show business where he remains to this day still reliably popping up on music and talk shows and now even in the 60s he's still just as charming as ever the popular music landscape in the 70s was packed full of dynamic solo idols along with the new big three you also had the tiger sawade kenji who went solo after the breakup and who sat firmly atop the cutest guy rankings for years later as well as a brand new generation of popular singers like Mori Masako, who emerged from audition shows like NTV's Star Tanjo, K.A. A Star is Born. And that was no coincidence. The television stations were kingmakers in this era. They created the stars, they gave them platforms in drama and music shows, and then they raked in the cash on their associated record labels. The four leaves soldiered on for a decade, their popularity evident in that they appeared on the prestigious end-of-the-year musical show Kohaku Utagasen nearly every year that they were active, as well as making regular appearances on television music shows like Retsu and Utai Yanyan, as well as minor roles in dramas and two movies that are sadly impossible to find. Believe me, I've looked. So the Four Leaves were definitely popular, they never quite crossed that hurdle that would have sent them to the toppermost of the poppermost. Was it a lack of resources? Did they suffer because they didn't have a sweetheart deal with one of the TV stations? Was there something about the singing and dancing performance style that just didn't click with mainstream audiences? Was technology just not good enough to broadcast their lively choreography into Japanese living rooms? The answer probably lies somewhere in the middle. Still, the four leaves remain important because they set the foundation for so much of what was to come. Watching their performances on YouTube today, you can see and hear the essential DNA of today's male idol groups. If the Tigers set the standard for the idol band, then the Four Leaves were the Ur model of the singing and dancing group. Next time I'll pick up the story in the 1980s in Japan with Shonen Tai in the dance music boom, but I'll sign off today with a song from one of the new big three, Saijal Hideki, who passed away on May 16th this year, 2018. Hideki had suffered two massive strokes, one in 2003 and then another one in 2011, and he'd worked really hard to regain his health and range of movement after both of them, always with an eye on returning to his fans. He was beloved by both the public and within the music industry. Just a few weeks before he entered the hospital for the final time, Hideki took to the stage for one last show. (laughs) Excuse me? (laughs) in front of an adoring crowd of fans who had supported him since they were all teens. And part of this was broadcast on a television music show I was watching, and it caught me by surprise. The footage is incredibly touching. It's a celebration of a wonderful man. And <laughs> I may have cried just a little. Rest in peace, Hideki. I'm still cheering for you. So this is Hono Hideki's 25th single released in May of 1978, written by the great Mike Okochi, who we'll definitely hear from again. And if you have any questions or comments, please send them in to filmegirl, F-I-L-M-I dot G-I-R-L at gmail.com, or you can add me on Twitter. Uh, yeah, make fun of me for crying over Hideki, um, and hopefully we can um, yeah, have some really good idle talk. All right.
1: あなたの心の熱さを探せやしないあなたに出会った不幸思えば No! o do